Board Gaming with Education, a podcast for anyone curious about how games and education mix. We explore various topics like game-based learning, gamification, and board games, and the impacts they have on learning. Here's your host, Dustin Statz. We have another interview episode of Board Game with Education coming right up. We interviewed Demir, the designer of the World Game, a really fun geography board game. You don't want to miss this episode. We talk about how he came up with the idea and what inspired him to make a game that really helps players learn a bit about the world. Before we get to our interview, the holidays are just around the corner, and we have something special at Board Game with Education. We are working with 25th Century Games to bring to you a really great holiday promotion you don't want to miss out on. If you are signed up for our email list, you'll receive a notification in one of our upcoming weekly emails that highlights our holiday promotion. Or if you are not on our email list, be sure to visit our website, boardgamewitheducation.com. Very soon, there'll be an opportunity for you to sign up to receive your holiday promotion offer as well. So with that, if you are looking for a board game as a holiday gift, feel free to reach out to us. We are happy to make some recommendations or share with you some games that are great for playing at home with family that also have some great educational benefits to them as well. You can reach out to us at podcast at boardgamingwitheducation.com or sales at boardgamingwitheducation.com. As always, thank you for listening and let's get into the conversation. Welcome to another interview episode of Board Game with Education. I'm excited to be joined by Damir Islamovich. He is the designer of the world game. You might have heard about this game a little bit because I just chatted about it on the previous episode. So I'm excited to be joined by the designer of the world game, Demir. Would you mind sharing a fun fact about yourself? And I know you shared a little bit about this fact with me before the episode, so I know this is a fun fact that kind of leads into how you got into game design. Can you share a little bit about your story and how you got into game design? Yeah, hi Dustin, thanks for having me. Actually, I'm basically a schooled architect, so uh, it's not really my first line of work. When I finished school, I mostly went through a bunch of startups doing uh, product design for just niche products, really just like weird stuff. And I just basically bounced around the startup world and um, I love the design so much and uh, just graphic design. And I'm very competitive also when it comes to games. And um, somehow me and my friend were playing and uh, just ended up uh, missing like value games. Um, there would be more than just passing time and uh, while hang, having fun with, uh, with friends when hanging out. Awesome. And would you say, I imagine the answer is yes, but maybe you can share some things that kind of you've learned in school when you were studying to be an architect that I've carried over to game design and maybe game design as an educational game? Well, yeah, basically it's uh, just being so uh, attentive uh, to detail, you know, like the, the first year of architecture, there's not a lot of computers in sight. You have to do everything by hand. You have to stay up late uh, and you have to redo stuff over and over again. And I feel like, I feel like that's the same as, uh, as the process we're going through right now. And, um, uh, it's really, really valuable that, that you know how to draw by hand and um, just get the compositions right, you know, have a sense of how colors relate to psychology and all that stuff. So it's, it's really helpful, like from my end and my perspective. And I'm kind of curious about 
Maybe this will be saved for another podcast, but looking at the psychology of architecture and how that overlaps with game design, that's really cool. So can you tell us that you were on the receiving end of learning through games? I think I think the best the best game to talk about uh, would be when you actually don't know you're learning stuff. And that's that's basically us playing Monopoly. I think everybody knows this game. We played Monopoly when we were kids outside on the porch and you know we have a lot of time. And then you have four hours to play it and you can basically play it every day on your vacation. So you're not really sure you're learning something that might be useful. useful. But uh, I feel like sooner or later you figure out, you know, uh, which land to buy, when to buy it, what to put on and what, what, what value it really brings. And basically you get the concept of economy that maybe translates into real life without even knowing it. So, uh, as a kid, just understanding something, uh, I think I think it's valuable without even knowing it, you know? Right, and I think you kind of sparked a memory for me, and it's one thing that I learned from counting in games, and math was probably from Monopoly, is learning how to count backwards from 100. Say they give you 100, and you have to give them change to make it 60, so you would count back from 100 to give them 40 back. Yeah, I think it's, it's kind of like the little things you don't even notice. Uh, but like it's a it's a four or three four hour play and then it's basically you get all the little things the big things and just like complex concepts sometimes and i don't know it, i i feel like that's that's really the one that stayed with me right and i think the big key here is not the fact that learning is important but rather this idea that the reason behind learning is because players growing up playing these games were intrinsically motivated to play and be involved in the learning and involved in the game involved in understanding how to win the game so you can seem knowledgeable in playing the game as well so how did you first get into the hobby of board games the the fir- i think the first first game that i played was when i was a kid and hanging out with my grandpa and then we played a lot of chess you know it was there was like it was like nice beautiful board you know nice pieces on the board we used the, the timer the clock uh and we we both enjoyed the game, you know, no matter the the age difference, which which was a big one, um, obviously. And then I started playing board games when we were hanging out with friends later on, and then on holidays, and then hanging out with other couples. We played a lot of activity and uh, all those couple related games. Even for New Year's, we play games. Now we, now we actually go to a, we actually go to this bar. It's a there's a bar here um, in our city that has a bunch of games, like hundreds of them. So we go there and just test like a lot of games out. And um, I don't know, just started playing like Camel Races, Photosynthesis, just games I've never heard before. I don't know, I guess I guess I felt like we need to do something. Like there's there's more to games than just passing time and, you know, just like hungry, hungry hippos and games like that, you know. And I'm curious... You're in Slovenia, and you mentioned a bar that is because I know here in the U.S., board game cafes have really grown. And when I was living in Taiwan, the first year I was there, there were like two board game cafes. And then by the time I left, there were like three years later, there were, I don't know, maybe over 10 in Taipei that I could just instantly think of. Is that something that's popular where you're at? Uh, I think I think they're the first one, actually, uh, to be here. They're, they're in the capital city, and... Um, it's basically a bunch of tables, a bunch of games. They have beer, they have tea, you know, everything. But uh, I feel like what 
what happens here, like with this culture. Like, I, I I lived in America also, but basically everybody goes to college there, and you know they have their own apartment, you know, sooner rather than later. Well, here, a lot of people stay at their parents' house, or they don't have an apartment of their own, so they need a place to go to to play these games. You know, I feel like that's that's perfect. That's a perfect fit for where we are right now. Because basically, they just need a place to play. They bring their own games sometimes, and I feel like it's always packed. You know, you you kind of have to reserve the table, really. Wow, that's awesome. I guess I didn't really consider that aspect of other countries' culture, or maybe an Asian culture. It's very similar where the difference between American culture and Asian culture, and again, maybe other cultures outside of America, is the idea of staying at home a little bit longer. In the U.S., we kind of leave our parents' home as soon as college. Uh, but recently, it seems like a lot of our generation is moving back with our parents. Yeah, we, I mean, I mean, I think we would move sooner too, but uh, we don't, we don't usually go to college far away, you know, here. So if you study here, it's basically like a, like a half an hour drive tops. So you're designing the world game. What is the world game? And how did you come up with the idea for designing it? Uh, yeah, it's, uh, actually it's a, it's a fun geography board game. You know, um, we have a world map, uh, that's numbered and you race around the world. Um, so it's a race and strategy game. Um, there's a lot of landmarks on the board, um, uh, famous world, world landmarks, and you get a uh, 194 country cards that have, uh, the name of the country, flags, locations, capital cities, and five basic facts on it. So uh, in a way, you're you're comparing the facts, like the, just the basic play is you have to compare the facts. So which country has a bigger population, the bigger area, highest point and stuff like that. But then there's also another thing to it where you can challenge each other with uh, uh, other challenges. So you have to show somebody uh, the card while covering the name. So you have to guess the flag or ask which capital, which is the capital of uh, Sweden, let's say, or show uh, Thailand on the map or stuff like that. So um, you basically kind of learn a lot through this process. But then with this, we also added the action cards, some dice and pawns. So uh, it's kind of like knowledge, strategy and luck based games. That's really cool. And it makes me think of a couple things when you're describing the game. Uh, The fact that, one, you're racing around the world, which I guess I haven't played the game, so I'm not 100% sure, so you'll have to correct me, but it makes me think that sometimes you might land or interact with certain countries in the game than you would in a different time play in the game. So there's a lot of replayability there. And with that, there's also opportunity for a kind of mastery, mastering the game content, which is very much a form of learning through the process of play. Maybe you can share with what how players might interact with the different countries. Is that something that they learn about different countries at different in different plays of the game? Yeah, definitely. They there's there's a bunch of cards. I mean, I feel like people are always surprised um that there's so many countries. Like even people who think they know a lot, well, when they when they see the pack of cards with 194 countries, uh they they see they don't know a lot. It's basically like every turn, every player gets one country card. So they compare the facts and everything, or uh, they get challenged, and then you toss those cards away. So you, you can go through the whole pile, 
but not see all the countries, you know, like up close. But you always see yours. So uh, basically you have to play, at, I feel like, I don't know, like 50 times to really get a hold like of all the countries, you know, to hold each country once and then kind of figure out, oh, this country has a really uh, high point, you know, a high mountain like Nepal or uh, maybe Luxembourg has a large GDP, but it's a small country. And then you kind of figure out, you know, you get the scope of how big the countries are, where they are, um, and just what their 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 best traits are, you know, what they're known for. Right. And I think that's super important. That's something that I've learned in my adult life is after leaving my home state of Nebraska and having a base foundational knowledge of these things about different countries um, is very important to be a contributing world citizen. Uh, it's important to know a little bit about this to understand world politics. I think this base knowledge of different countries in the world is important. Yeah, I mean, I feel like sometimes it's just, you know, you just need a little spark to begin with, you know, just just to spark interest in, you know, young people's minds and just to see something surprising or something that they they thought and then they were wrong. So they would go and research more about this topic and issue. And I don't know, there's there's some countries in the world that I thought were in, I don't know, in Africa and they were in the Oceania, you know, in Australia. So there's there's really like, I, I still get surprised sometimes, you know. And I've, I play this game a bunch of times while testing. So. so could you share with us a bit about how you incorporated the fun part of the game into the educational aspect of it? What we did was we put uh, a lot of luck and strategy into it. So uh, when we put action cards in it, I mean, those are cards where you can uh, make somebody skip a turn or move back uh, two spots. Or uh, let's say he challenges you and you get the correct answer, but then you have to, he, he gives you another challenge. Like with this action card, you have to answer another challenge correctly. Or you have to change the fact that you chose to compete with and stuff like that. And I think like what really what's really interesting is everybody starts off, you know, playing like solo for themselves, right? And then there's always this one person that maybe knows more, you know, about the world. And sometimes people get scared, like I'm not gonna know enough. This is a geography game. But at the end, like the person that gets ahead, you know, everybody that used to play, I mean, that when they when we began played solo, they team up with those action cards just to slow that person down. So it kind of switches from playing for yourself to being a team player, you know, just kind of keeping everybody in the game at the same time. I feel like that's like a, a lot of emotion changing during the game and uh, just like a roller coaster of uh, excitement. Right. And I think that's really important. And I kind of want to hear more of the considerations you made when designing this type of game and the one that you mentioned is a catch-up mechanic, and that's important that we use game, we use a mechanic like this in game-based learning because you don't want a player or team to get f so far ahead that the losing team gives up. Because when the losing team gives up, they give up wanting to play and they give up wanting to learn. So, what are some other educational aspects you involved in the design process? To begin with, I'd say like like as I said before, like with chess, like I, I, we felt it's important that we don't do just another you know, Pokemon game and stuff that 
you know, parents would not be interested in it. And, you know, it's hard to get everybody behind the table playing a single game because it's, it's hard to decide which one to play. But I feel like just developing this game, like we, let's say a kid can play guessing uh, which continent the country's from and then the parent can guess the flag. And it's, you know, it, it's kind of like equal difficult, difficulty. So they can bo- both play. And um, I feel like the versatility of difficulty is important. And the second is not to make it too complicated, you know. So it stays fast-paced. So in our case, we had to, you know, choose our facts. So they're all numbered, you know. So you can easily just like compare numbers, you know. How many neighbors does this country have? How many neighbors does this one have? So it goes fast, you know. You don't have to. It's not a quiz. You don't have to read a question. And, you know, it's it's basically... It goes really, really fast and it actually sinks in after a while. And then I think the third and last one we had the most trouble with, and then I can't stress this enough, is to be impartial when it comes to educational games. Because, um, I mean, there's no way you can make everybody happy, I think. Um, there's no room for a personal preference here. It's It's an educational game, so... I mean, it's, it matters where you get your data from. Um, with us, it, it mattered which countries we can include and which we can't, where we draw the borders and everything. So it's, you know, you, you really can't please anyone, you know? So like some, some countries are recognized by the UN, some are recognized by the US. You know, there's trouble with Palestine, uh, Kosovo, and a bunch of borders like Taiwan and China and just... It's it's hard to be objective and please everyone, but I feel like like that's a tough one for for every game. I mean, even history and everything. Maybe maybe math 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 could be easier in that aspect. Right. Yeah. I mean, math is pretty factual. I guess um, we can rely on numbers, though. I guess sometimes numbers can be deceiving. But yeah, you make a good point. I mean, it's important to consider those things and think about where that source of information comes from, which is kind of something that we can touch on in the learning process of something like this. But for design of a game, or even as teachers, when we're presenting material to our students, we should think about where that material comes from. And I know that's a big, I guess I would say, issue or challenge in the U.S. to currently current that we're currently thinking about as well as looking at history and looking at the kind of negative aspects of American history and how that's important to look at as well and not just gloss over those things. Yeah, I think I think that's that's important and it's really difficult. You know, like even like when we put a game out, we're always just waiting to see what what the reviews are going to be. You know, <laughs> it's uh, and somebody always lives in the country that we have a card on, so. You know, it it gets looked at closely. Definitely. So before we head into our final segment, are there any maybe last words of advice you would share either for someone interested in your game or someone maybe interested in having your game to be used in the classroom or for at-home learning? Uh, I feel like uh, there was a bunch of comments um, that uh, people uh, wanted to use it and use it um, for kids in the classroom um, as a bargaining chip. So... Let's say um, they were nice. I don't know, like how how long is an hour uh, of class uh, in the U.S. in elementary schools and stuff. But uh, let's say if it's forty five minutes, they had to listen for thirty minutes in geography, and then for fifteen they can play this game, which is kind of a reward for them. But 
for the teacher is actually just another way of learning about things, you know, and they can elaborate on that later on. So um, I don't know. It's I, I think that was a that was a good comment from one of the teachers. Right. And that's really awesome. And I'm excited to see it on Kickstarter. It's on Kickstarter as of now, the release of this episode. It was launched on November 10th. So be sure to check it out on Kickstarter. That's the world game. Awesome. So let's head into our final segment, which is a thumbs up, thumbs down, quick lightning round. I'm going to give you three statements and you'll give me a thumbs up because you like it or thumbs down because you don't like it and a brief reason why. You maybe agree or disagree with the statements. So the first one is going to be games of deception. So games that involve deception. Thumbs up or thumbs down and why? Uh, I think thumbs up. Uh, I feel like it's it's good for learning how to read people, you know? Yeah, totally. And I still struggle with that even with my wife. Sometimes I still trying to figure out how to read her. And she's pretty good at those games. All right, so the next one, so this is kind of a strange one, but maybe I can make sense of it. So you know the website Board Game Geek. Board Game Geek, for anyone who doesn't know, is probably the number one board game website, and they keep a running list of the top 100 games. I think it's based on an aggregate of votes from the community. Um, would you agree that the top 100 or disagree with the top 100? So thumbs up or thumbs down? Uh, maybe thumbs down because i feel like it's it's so hard to to get up so i'm not sure if you have to pay to get up there or not but i don't know i'm not really sure <laughs> how to answer that because I, I don't know what's behind it but uh it's usually there it's games you know they have a large following and maybe a video game behind it and you know i don't know it's kind of connected to a larger scheme of things i think Right. Yeah, there's definitely 100% a lot of marketing money behind a lot of the games up there for sure. All right, so the last one is classic board games remade. Classic board game remade. Um, hmm. I'm not sure if this counts because it's not actually a board game. But uh, I, I feel like everybody uh, in Slovenia loves to play Uno. Yeah, yeah, that would count. All right. Yeah, it was like... When I was when I was doing this game um, with my friend, like I, I checked out the history of Uno. It's like a thirty-minute clip on YouTube, and it's actually it's it's been developed. And uh, I feel like still we we argue on the rules every single time. <laughs> That's cool. I didn't know there's a YouTube video that shows the history of Uno. I'm gonna have to check that out. Awesome, Demir. Well, thank you so much again for coming on the show and sharing a bit about the world game. If anyone wants to reach out to you, where might they find you and where would they find the world game? Uh, yeah, all right. You can uh, basically go straight to Kickstarter and write the, the world game. It's live on Kickstarter now. And uh, I should probably go fast because uh, the first couple of hundred units will be at an early bird price. So, um, Or you can go to our website, which is playworldgame.com and um, you can go through a link there and... Um, or shoot us an email if you have any questions. And uh, I don't know, go check it out. I think it's it's going to be fun. Awesome, Demir. Thank you again for coming on the show. All right. Thank you, Dustin, for having me. Thank you again for listening this week to Board Game with Education. If you like what you hear, please consider leaving a review. We love to hear back from you. And as always, thank you for the support and listening in. 
If you have any questions, you can reach us through our social media or email podcast at boardgamewitheducation.com. And until next time, remember, teach better, learn more, most definitely play some more games. One game that I've been playing recently is Ink and Gold on BoardGameArena.net. So that's a really fun push-your-luck game. We've had a lot of fun playing that remotely. I recommend checking that game out. Thank you for listening in this week. If you like what you heard, be sure to let us know. You can find us on social media as Board Gaming with Education or BGE Games, or email us at podcast at boardgamingwitheducation.com. If you want to support our podcast, be sure to check out our support page on our website. As always, teach better, learn more, and most importantly, play more. Thank you for listening, and until next time.